This is Island Waves. You're listening to Something to Talk About, a series on everyday people and giving them a voice into their lives. Island Waves, the voice of Prince Edward. Island Waves, the voice of Prince Edward Island, and you're listening to Something to Talk About with your host, Brittany Williams, and today's guest, Frank Senechal. Frank grew up in Ontario and Quebec. When he graduated high school, he enrolled in the military as a pilot. After seven years in the military, Frank went on to work for Air Canada, where he spent 31 years. Now, Frank resides in Prince Edward Island and spends most of his time volunteering with seniors. Hi, Frank. How are you today? I'm fine. Good. So tell me about what it was like growing up. I was adopted growing up, uh, and uh, my brother and I both both adopted. We had really wonderful parents. My father and mother were in the mining. Uh, my mother didn't, well, she was a housewife, so basically I have that to thank her for. Uh, but dad moved around quite a bit. So we, we went to, I can't, can't think of any place we stayed more than three years. It's not because he was running from the law or anything. <laughs> it's just uh, he, he would get a job somewhere else and away he'd go. And your first job was in a coal mine as well, is that correct? Not a coal mine. Up no. there was uh, gold mines. It was a gold mine. Yeah, copper, copper and gold and stuff like that. And uh, I always had summer jobs, different little things. I worked in the mines, I uh, worked in an office. I got the job uh, in the office because a neighbor of mine was an office worker. And I couldn't see myself digging ditches like the rest of the young guys were doing. <laughs> so I got her to show me how to type. That was on a... Saturday. So when I went for the interview, they said, do you know how to type? I said, yes. And I had a job with an office that overlooked my friends out there that were digging in the mud. And did you enjoy that job? Yeah, it was. Uh, it, it really was. I got me more into a little bit of business stuff, uh, very, very basic. And I did that. Uh, and the next year, I always liked the idea of doing a different job every year. So that when I did finish high school, the whole point of it was that I would have a little bit of experience. Uh, one of the years I went worked for Quebec Hydro uh, up in James Bay, and uh, that was working a, a home light uh, chainsaw. Worked in crews of two, and a helicopter would drop us at one spot, and we'd have to make a line to the other spot about four or five miles away. Wow! So that was our uh, that was a summer job. It was great. We lived in tents. We had a good crew crew of about uh, about twenty. Uh, it was a kitchen tent. We had a cook. They would, uh, it was all basic, you know, they'd put a, a big bowl, really big bowl of steaks, maybe whatever was full, potatoes, carrots, all good healthy food. And uh, so we never had to do any cooking or dusting or vacuuming or anything. Sounds like a tiny great. little town. Always oh, great. <laughs> well, we all lived in tents. It was, yeah. uh, I think, 10 tents altogether, six of us in each tent, wood stove in the middle for the nighttime. That was it. So that's great. That, that, was, a, that was a year that I did. I worked again in the mines again. Uh, stayed in the bunkhouses and stuff like that and doing various jobs. So. And the job with um, the, when you were a, a, a tree clearer, is that correct? Well, just, all we, we didn't care where the trees went. We just could, so that we could see from one spot to the other. So the trees would go left and right and left and right. And... Was that your first experience flying? Well, that's the first time I was in an airplane and it was, uh, the airplane was a beaver. If you ever from up north there, they're quite common bush planes. There's a pilot and a guy sits beside him. He doesn't do anything. He's not a, not a co-pilot or anything. And then in the back where I was, there was about six or seven mattresses, and I was on, st- sitting on the top of the mattress. So that was my first job. When we landed, uh, we couldn't get really close to shore, but he got in as close as we could. And I, I got in up to my waist in the water, pulled the airplane in, and then we took chainsaws out. We cleared some land and put tents up, and that was our, that's where we stayed for the summer. And after you graduated high school, you thought about going to university, correct? What were you thinking about? All I knew then was the little bit of um, outside summer work I did. And uh, and, uh, I knew teachers. You know, you deal with teachers all the time. So that's what I was going to take. I had no idea. I had no, uh, no exposure to anything else. 
up when you're up north up there, I shouldn't really say that. It's not the best teachers because nobody wants to go up in the bush. Uh, and I don't think it's really the best of doctors or the best of anything yeah. because nobody wants to go there. It's, it's, it's rough living for a lot of people up there. But they were all good people. And uh, I, so to answer your question, I figured, okay, well, I could be a teacher. So that's what I was going to go do. Till a friend of ours, two, two guys come over one afternoon and said, uh, hey, we're just we were at the, uh, the, the recruiters are in town. And I wasn't doing I was playing fastball that night around 7 o'clock. You should go, they say. You should so I went, and uh, I often think about them. If they hadn't come up and said that, I don't know what my career would have been. Yeah. And what made you decide to go that day? I had nothing to do. So I went and listened to this guy. He tells you, I asked you a bunch of questions. More, It's more psychological to see what you're like. They don't really care about aptitude. Then It's more to find out whether you would fit in the mold of a military person. So I did that. They never said yes, no, nothing. I got a call about a week and a half later saying I want your, they wanted me to go to another community about uh, 30 miles away uh, for medical. So that's what I did. And, uh, then, and at, the, at that time, too, there was more aptitude tests, uh, more psychological thing, you know, find out whether you're not going to wackle. Uh, and so I did that. I still didn't know what I wanted to do. Uh, then I got a letter about two weeks later with a ticket to get on the uh, <laughs> get on the because there's no no flying up there and but there was a train and so I had to go down to Borden in Ontario and Borden is with one of the, where they started flying oh first time I've ever seen airplanes except for the Beaver all these little yellow airplanes flying around and anyway so I went in with that and there's a whole bunch of us in there a lot and you had to do medical a lot more uh, uh, elaborate than the first medical I had. And then we, uh, we'd get, we had tests to do as you'd be in charge of, uh, I remember the one I had you in, it's a big, big gymnasium. And uh, there's different spots there. So there'd be a group of five who'd go to this spot, that spot, and they all had something to do. And at each spot, there'd be one of your five that would be the leader. And the one I had, we had to get on a box, a big box with five of us on there. I was the leader that time. And I can't say that I had a lot of confidence then, but I could. Fi I figured out what, what was going on. So I was on this box and there were crocodiles down below. You had to use your imagination. They weren't real. And there was a rope hanging down between this box and the other box. And we had to get my team across there. Uh, so uh, everybody had an idea. And I, that's where I kind of figured out this is not going to work. They're not looking to see if we die or not. They don't care. They want to know somebody's got to run it. So I said, no, what we're going to do is this. We had another piece of rope. You could throw the rope to, to try to get, pull it towards you. You did that. And I had to say, basically, no, that's enough. We're, this is what we're going to do. We all died. And, uh, <laughs> but the point was, I didn't let five people get their input here. We only had so much time. So we tried. We never made it. And I think that made the difference between whether you're actually got any leadership qualities or whether you're just going to follow and, you know, be meek about everything because that's not going to get anything done. We did that. And then uh, the other thing I had was a, uh, an interview. You go, it's funny. It's going the room's all dark and they got, you have to sit in the chair just like you're, it's like you're in jail or something. You're, you're guilty. There's a light on you. These three guys are there and they've got, uh, uniforms on and I'd never seen uniforms before and they asked you questions so I had studied for that I learned all the, the premiers <laughs> of uh, all the provinces and all that kind of stuff and I think about that now because I don't think I can name more than one premier now but back then I had to learn all that and they never asked me anything about that what would you do if this what would you do with that what do you think of this and what, at one point they said uh, well what do you want to do in the military well I knew from growing up and working in the mines, I wasn't keen on the army because you had to dig ditches and stuff. I don't like that very much at all. And those little yellow airplanes were flying around. And I, I want to be a pilot. If there would have been water around with ships going around, I would have probably said, uh, I want to do that. Anyway, so that, that was okay. They said, you're home. They never said yes, no, nothing. Uh, and then it was about a month later. They said, we want you to take the train and go out to uh, Victoria, BC. And so I did. Still not really, you know, knowing for sure that's what I wanted to do, but it sure was better than going back to school. Uh, anyway, um, I went out there and we had, I think, 109 on the course. It was a lot more military. This is where you had to learn. They had to 
you had to be dressed a certain way and you had your shoes had to be just so-and-so and your ironing, you'd do that every day, every day. And we got out of there, we were there for four or five months of hell. And they test you all the time. It's always to see whether you're, you're reliable, whether you have any leadership qualities anyway. So we had 109 of us start there. Some of us, you get what's called CT or CS training. It was four of us in a bedroom, all different corners. And they'd have this thing and the Navy has this whistle that goes there to wake everybody up, it drives you crazy. And you had to get out and be outside in your little blue shorts and your running shoes and a t-shirt. And it was, Victoria can be cool, really cool. And it was always wet. So you had to get out and they never took, they never took roll call. They just had to be out there. Eh? And on top of that, the bed had to be made just so because they would inspect while you're out. And often if they didn't, and often your, your bed might've been perfect to make any difference because they'd rip it off just to see how you'd react. So a lot of the times we'd sleep on this little four by two by four mat on the floor. And then we got, uh, we got tried to outsmart them and we'd say, okay, look, each, each day it'll be a different person. One of us would get in the locker, lock them in, and the three of us would go out and do the running. When you get back, you'd unlock them just to get some sleep. Anyway, uh, that, that was an experience. That was, uh, and then next thing I knew, I got another letter saying, you're going to go to Moose Jaw, uh, Saskatchewan. And uh, uh, I did that. And then I, that was the first time. First time I was in an airplane where I was actually in front was the Tudor. Uh, Tudors, I don't know if you know where the, the snowbirds fly, the Tudors. Yes. Uh, anyway, that was the first time I was in the left seat of an airplane. And I threw up the first four times. <laughs> I threw up in my glove. I threw up in my oh. helmet bag. <laughs> and uh, I guess after I, the fifth time, I was okay. And the instructor said, if you would have uh, gotten sick again, that, the la that would have been the last time. So I kind of squeaked through that. But uh, so out of the 109 that went to Victoria, uh, there was nine of us that graduated flying. Part of the reason was because... Uh, like I said before, you used to do the flying, uh, you'd start on those little yellow airplanes. And they say, well, let's just, let's try this. We'll, we'll, we'll put them straight on the jet airplane and see how they do. So I was on course 6602. So it was four courses on that. And then they said, no, that's, we're losing too many people. So, but, uh, so that's why we ended up, there was, I think there was nine of us uh, that graduated. How did it feel to be one of the ones that made it through? You're just too busy trying to survive. Uh, I must admit, I thought there were a lot of people a lot smarter than I was, a lot. I mean, uh, to start with, I was five foot nine. Well, you always think, geez, that guy's over six feet. He must be smart. You know, you, you always think different because somebody, that guy's really, so you're too busy to, to say, well, I made it, you did. Some people got, it was a guy called Mike Liptak. I don't know if it ever gets out anybody, because Mike not, might not even be alive, but he used to shine his boots. Oh, spit shine the boots just. His were just shiny, but he wouldn't just do the toe and the little bit of the back. He'd shine it everywhere, everywhere. I didn't think that was very smart because you don't want to stand out, not not with something like that. And we were doing, uh, in the morning, we'd be there all standing. There's a guy called Corporal Hamley. <laughs> he come along and he said, uh, he got to Mike and he looked at his boots and he said, you use spit shine on it. You use spray shine on that, didn't you? No, sir. And I, Anyway, he takes his boot and he puts it on top of Mike's boot and he just ground it into, well, just ruined the boot. Eh? That's just to see whether Mike would react because Mike would have been a good guy. Uh, anyway, so, and then he not only did he do that, he gave him laps that night, 25 laps after supper. He had to do laps of this thing anyway. But so you look at this kind of stuff happening and realize you, 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 there are times you want to stand out and there's those times you want to sit back and watch don't open your mouth unless you're really sure. Don't ask a question that you don't want to hear the answer for. So I got out of that. Here we go. And what was it like um, being on the jet for training? What was that like? Well, I wasn't on it at the start. I was probably about a half a mile behind it. It was going so fast. You're just trying to keep up. Mm -hmm. And then slowly you get a little closer all the time. And then pretty soon, okay, I know what I, I got a pretty good idea what I'm doing now. Uh, so you catch up to things there, but at the start, uh, that thing really moves and you're not used to, when you're flying stuff, you have to know where everything is without thinking, you look, you touch stuff. Uh, if you want to turn the radio up, you don't use your hand, you can't take your eyes off of what's, what's going on. Um, it was fun, it was good. They, they, uh, I enjoyed every minute of that, I really, except the getting sick part. I told you about that. <laughs> yes, that, yeah. that but the, uh, it, it was fun. The formation stuff is really hard really hard uh, it, and it looks like you know, it looks really steady when you're looking at it from the ground 
but there's a lot of moving around there. There's a lot. And you've got to be careful because you're, you're close. If you went too far forward, you could clip them. Anyway, so that was my, uh, my fun with that. I know that you did have a little bit of an accident when you were on yeah, the... That, that, that was after I got, I got my wings after and we, uh, I was on an airplane, CF-100, that had a reputation that we didn't want to fly that airplane into, a, into an area where there's super cool water and that you'll get that in a, in a thunderstorm. Uh, and we, we went out one morning, I was flying with a guy, I was on the wing of a guy I called Lloyd Hubbard, and you don't know his name, but he was the leader of the Golden Hawks. You have no idea that is, do you? No, but it sounds they, they were They were Sabres, a <laughs> uh, beautiful airplane, and they, okay. uh, he was one of the leaders, wow. excellent pilot. I was on his wing, and I had my navigator in the back, and we walked out to the airplane, and it started to pour rain. Back then, you didn't have the, the weather briefings as you do now, and you don't have the, the radar to see the thunderstorms and stuff. But we were underneath the wing just trying to stay dry for a bit and we went in and we talked we called uh, the weather station again and said what about this and, oh that should be passed so out we go in formation i was on his right wing and we're climbing out of well over montreal the sort of st hubert so i think we were at eighteen thousand feet level and uh we were cleared above so he puts the power on i'm staying with him and we're right in cloud uh, and that's when my left engine blew up so uh, right away I pulled off he kept going up uh, and come out on top and I had that added so we're now we're going back we couldn't eject there because uh, we're right over Montreal this, I don't know if this sounds exciting but it was exciting it does sound <laughs> very exciting yeah anyway so we're trying to come back and I only had partial power on the right engine and, and my navigator was doing the uh, the call yeah, there's, there's procedures to follow you mayday 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 you know certain things you have to say right. anyway we um we're trying to come back and he wasn't he, they weren't getting across the point that look at we got to get on the ground right away so then i i uh, i in, intervened and i said look this is what we need i want you to put me half a mile final really tight anyway we ended up turning final about 10 miles back and i, I think we would have made it without that anyway uh, so anyway, we're down there and we're going <laughs> down uh, and I had the gear up and everything and uh, we're at about uh, two and a half, three miles away. We're at about maybe 11, 1200 feet and uh, I had to put the gear down sooner or later. Mm -hmm. I'm still in cloud and uh, I could start to see below. I, I saw it was darker so you knew the gr I knew the ground was there and I put the gear down. Speed starts to go back so you apply a little bit of power and that's when the other engine blew up. And uh, I think Rod, Rod McPherson was my uh, navigator. I don't think he heard me say anything. <laughs> he was gone. <laughs> and he got out. He was to be, he, he'd be older. He would have been around 40. I was about 20. Uh, he must have been wondering back there, so why are we still here? <laughs> why doesn't he say get out? I think I did say get out. And a canopy grows. And then it's set up so that uh, one guy doesn't hit the other on the way out. So I pull the handles. There's a delay. Because of that, I pulled the other handle, and then I blacked out. And as you're doing that, I, I, I could see that we're getting, the ground is closer now. And then next thing you know, I just blacked out. Uh, it was because the, it's, a jet, it's a rocket that pushes you up. And then, okay, that was fine. I realized, okay, the chute didn't work now. Because I was coming down head first. <laughs> head first was not a good idea. But you think of stuff, and I, I pull the, the emergency chute, which is a little one, three feet, that'll pull the big one out. And that's not, not working, so I, when I hit the ground, I've got a hit and I've got to roll. You don't stop thinking. You don't stop because, and that's what all your training will do. You, you never give up. You just keep thinking. So that's what my plan was. I'm going to hit. And then I thought, because Karen, my wife, is, was uh, working in the hospital in Montreal. I had that. She's going to worry about that. And that's when I hit. But the little chute took me from head first around to feet first. And only the little chute was out. But because the airplane was going in forward and going down and the, the seat pushed me up, it kind of meant that I didn't. All I did is hit in the mud and I slid for about 10 feet. I got the broken teeth, bleeding mouth. And that was it. That was all the Five houses got hit. All the pets got out. I'll never forget. I was lying there and one man was standing there. And the lady, nice looking lady, mind you, and she's got a towel around her. <laughs> they were in the house. I don't know what they were doing. I'm not saying. But uh, he said in the paper the other day, he said, we were lying, and he had with a French accent, we were lying in bed, and he said, the airplane come in the front, and we got out the back. <laughs> so, 
So, uh, but everybody was okay. So we, we made it to about a half a mile final. And I often see that when we buy the, go by the town of St. Bruno when we do travel around Montreal. I can see where we we hit, where the, and they they built they built there again. And did that accident make you feel any differently about flying planes or being involved in no, the military? No, 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 no. Yeah. A lot of times you come close uh, when you're flying air, military airplanes because it's you, you you fly right close to the edge. You uh, you got to watch all the time, but you come close a lot. And you spent a total of seven years in the military, correct? Yeah, seven, seven, eight years, something like that. Yeah. And what made you leave? Money. You can't, uh, you know, in the military flying like that, you would reach 40 to, 40 to 45 and you'd be a desk job and then they'd retire you. Well, that's, uh, and you're not paid a great deal. So you knew that uh, I wouldn't be doing those jobs for a long time. So uh, Air Canada was hiring. And I flew for an interview, went to, from Coal Lake to, uh, uh, to Vancouver. An interview there, got a job, and we went with them. And did you know that you wanted a career in flying after Oh, yeah, military? yeah. It was very little else that I could I really do. I, um, you know, that's what I was trained to do, and, uh, and I enjoyed it. It's a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, mid-air refueling, a lot of formation flying, uh, low-level kid 18, 19 years old, kind of like that. Did you have, like, was that crash that you had in the military, was that your scariest moment in the military, would you say? Or were you scared at all? Uh, well, there's come times you, where you you, uh, you scare yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, one, one trip, uh, low level. And, you know, low level flying, you're supposed to be at 200 feet. Again, you know, you're 18, 19 years old. <laughs> you're, yeah. you're down a lot lower than 200 feet. And I was flying south of uh, Quebec City, and all the fields are a lot of everything's parallel. And you didn't have GPS back then. It's you had a map that you'd have strapped to your uh, your leg, and then part of it up here you'd look. And that's what you did. Uh, anyway, I was looking for a little bridge, small bridge. It, was, it would have been no more than twenty feet wide. And I pushed the handle down on the on the camera, and then pushed to take the picture. It was on the trigger, and the little blue light was supposed to come on. It didn't come on. I moved it around a little bit, pushed it again, didn't come on. And I looked down. And when I looked back up, I was up almost upside, <laughs> upside down and maybe, maybe, maybe 40, 50 feet over the ground. And it's fortunately, it's a really, really good airplane. The, the CF-5 is very responsive. And I kicked it forward and just went up. I went up and went home. I never did anything else. We'll be right back with more of Something to Talk About with Frank Senechal on Island Waves, the voice of Prince Edward Island. Island Waves. Something to Talk About is a series on everyday people and giving a voice into their lives. This series is dedicated to James David Withers, friend, mentor, author, and poet and also to Shirley Eckhard, composer of our theme song, singer-songwriter, and namesake of our program, Something to Talk About. And we're back with more of Something to Talk About on Island Waves. I'm Brittany Williams, back with today's guest, Frank Senechal. So Frank, how did you get your foot in the door at Air Canada? Well, I'm fortunate at the time that I, I was kind of looking at well, I'm going to do this in the Air Force for years, or I'm going to look around, because you always hear people, the airlines, and the airlines, all oh, the money's good, uh, and you go a lot of places. And I, I went in the Air Force, I was in, uh, you know what downtown Coal Lake is like? You know what downtown Bagotville is like? That's the kind of places you are. They don't put you in where you've got, where your kids now have the opportunity to get better education but uh, so I figured, uh, and at the time Air Canada was looking for people, so what the heck. So I, I, I got my uh, civil licenses. I think there were seven exams you had to do and uh, got hired in that direction. Did Air Canada pay for your license or did that oh, have no, to come no, out no, of no. Uh, I, it, it wasn't a lot to get. I mean, well, actually, the only time I had to get an actual flying license, a civil flying license, I had to get that on an airplane. But passing the exams, that's, I think, basically free. You just go in and you, you needed a really high mark to, to do it. But anyway, so I, I ended up going, I, I took an F5 
that was a good thing about the military. <laughs> I take this airplane and I fly it down to, uh, to Winnipeg. And I went in and got a, uh, uh, talked to a guy who had these light airplanes and I'd never flown a prop in my life. And I said, I need to, I need, I need to get a civil license and uh, got to get rent an airplane. And uh, he said, well, you'll have to take the courses. I don't have time to take the courses. I got to get this other airplane back. Anyway, uh, I couldn't, I couldn't rent an airplane. Anyway, so I called a guy. I had been on the instrument check pilots course a few years before that. And I knew one of the guys there and I knew him well. And anyway, I said, I called him and I said, look, this is where I am and I need the civil license. And uh, you think you can help me? Yeah, he said, okay, I will. Uh, well, I'll see you tomorrow. And we went up, we rented the airplane and we went from Winnipeg. We went to the West there. We turned around a few times, pulled an airplane off, an engine off. And basically, okay, I think I said, so what do I do now with that? I never flew those things on a jet engine. He knew that. And we went back and landed. I got my uh, civil rating and uh, that was enough for Air Canada. And then you get in and then you're trained in, in, in the airlines. You're trained on each airplane. Courses will run. Oh, six months anyway. Yeah, and now it's nice. You go in, you're on a computer, and you look at everything, and, and you can go back and forward and all that. And they keep track of what you get right, what you get wrong. So at the end of which, they can say, well, look, you had trouble with this, this, this. Okay, so then they go over it again. And you have to pass. You have to do, you have to get a pretty good mark. And then you go into a simulator. And when I started on the simulators, it, it, they were a lot more basic than they are now. Now, if you get in a simulator now, it's so realistic that if you're going to crash, you're, you're basically, you, you think you're going to die. It's, it's really, really realistic, the motion and everything. Uh, I remember one on, the, I think it was the 1011. When you do a certain thing and you're, you're, you've got problems with the airplane, you're trying to make it in. And if something else happens, a certain thing, hardly anybody ever survives it because they know you're going to. And the airplane will just do this. So by the time it's done this, and, and visually it looks like you've done it, your hands are on the front. It's very realistic. Anyway, you do that, and then you go for your uh, your actual ride. Now they'll do you the actual ride on the airplane uh, in the simulator. You do that, the next thing you know, you're you're flying that airplane. You get on and you, you go to different places. See, I started off in the DC nine, so you uh, it, it's uh, smaller. Smaller airplanes, twin engine airplane. You do a lot of maritime flying and little hops. You don't do transcontinental right then. And then you move. I moved from there to DC 8s, did some overseas stuff, L 1011s, and then a lot of the uh, Airbus airplanes. So that, that it, it was a lot of, it was good. Really, I'd love to go back and do it. I'd love to go back into the Air Force and, and just to see whether I could get in that cockpit again. I'm, I told you I was at four pounds over. God, I don't think I'd fit. <laughs> but uh, the other ones there, yeah, I'd like to do it again. Now I, I look up and I can see airplanes going, I know what well, they're doing this and that. It's kind of a nice feeling. And what was, was there any major differences between the training in the military and the training at Air Canada? No, once you, you have your, your license, you're qualified. With the military, even the military, maybe in the army there would be. Uh, but it, it, the pilots, you know what you're doing. You're on your own, and you're, you're your own boss, kind of. Uh, it's not it's not the same. In Air Canada, you you know the rules. You go. You have to deal with with passengers, and that's not easy sometimes. Sometimes it's uh, well. I've had experiences with that that they're not always nice. Now yourself being a passenger, you're probably very very nice. Try to be. <laughs> I try to be. But believe me, sometimes, and I don't blame them. People get impatient. They're, Things are going wrong. Look at now, their luggage is lost. Mm -hmm. they, they're, they're supposed to get to a, a cruise and they're not going to make it, but they've paid for it. I mean, it's, it's hard for passengers and I don't, I don't blame them for getting annoyed. But for, as far as the crew, I think they're all, especially with Air Canada, that's the only ones I know, but I'm sure the rest too, uh, of the big airlines. Uh, the testing is pretty rigorous. It's, you know what you're doing. And you've flown five planes with Air Canada? In, during your yeah, there? yeah, I think about, about five different ones. Yeah. Do you remember what they all were? It was a DC nine, uh, uh, DC eight, L ten eleven, Airbus two elevens, and then the three twenty, the three twenties, and the three thirty, three thirty, three thirty fours. Jeez, that's my memory. That'll happen to you when you get to be my <laughs> age. Uh, uh, yeah. So I, I I flew those, and the, the bigger the airplane, basically they go further. I've been uh, I've been to a lot of places that are, uh, and I like that. But it's not all as glamorous as it sounds. Because if you go to a place and you're flying, you basically get there, 
you've got to rest. There's a certain amount. It's not very long sometimes. And sometimes you're, you're tired. You don't really get the sleep. You, you don't get the rest. You're, your whole, uh, the whole clock's turned around and uh, uh, then you've got to get up and go again. But you don't get to, where, where you do walk around some of these cities. I've been to a lot of cities uh, and I, I thought they were nice, but you're so tired and you see them, but you're not liar long enough to appreciate anything about them. Uh, so I, one of the best ones I ever did was I brought uh, Karen, my wife, to uh, a year was 2000 when everybody was worried of what's going to happen with yes. the clocks and all the computers, oh, geez. So we were flying. And so she was, uh, she came with me. The, the airline said, you can bring your, your better half. Uh, and uh, so we, we had that trip. That was nice. We had two days in t Tel Aviv and we had rented a car and we went through the, uh, the desert a bit. And oh, Jesus was exciting for us. There's a bunch of camels crossing the road. <laughs> we stopped the car and uh, went and got close to a camel. That was, a, I didn't realize they bit or spit, but they, they do. And then we were in the Dead Sea. We floated around there. I, I had uh, part of my, my crew with me too, as two, two of the crew the girls so we were in the dead sea and then we went to the you, you can float there you get in the and you're floating almost out you can read a paper lie down on your back and then we got into the mud there's this mud they tell you that cures everything and uh, so we bought some of that home didn't cure anything and flew back so uh, it was really good for her she was one of the long trips uh, and I, I, I appreciated that we could do that but now after all these years of flying I, I don't really want to do it anymore can't blame me. Oh, she would love to go. I know she would love to go, but uh, I, I don't have the same. I might go if I want if I was flying the thing. But have you flown anyone famous that you know of? Oh well, I'll tell you a story. I haven't told anybody else. Who's the king of England now? Oh, Prince Charles, King Charles. Sorry, King Charles. Yeah. He and I are buddies. Oh, are you? We flew him and his kids, uh, Harry and uh, William. William. Oh, wow. We're in London as DC eight. And we're, they were supposed to come. They were in first class. What happens is they've all the pastors come on and we're sitting there waiting. It's funny, they, they get really good care. <laughs> all of a sudden we get the call. It's okay, they're going through security now, which I don't imagine was much. They just threw that. They're there, so okay. So then we, we contact Tower and say, uh, you know, we need pushback clearance. And you have a different call sign. And uh, they come on, the doors close. We start pushing back, started engines. Everybody gets out of the way. Wow. They just get out of the way and off we go. And, uh, and then you're, you're, uh, you have a, an escort that follows you just to see if you do go down that they can, if your airplane went down, they, I know what happens. They'd send out helicopters and say, which one of you is the king? And that's the guy they tell you the rest of us at sink. But anyway, uh, so he come up to the cockpit. I talked to him for, oh, seemed like a long while, probably not much more than five minutes. And the boys, I shook hands with the boys and stuff. So yeah, yeah, him and I are great buddies. <laughs> that would be the most famous guy, so to speak. But uh, a lot of the actors, actresses, we've seen them. Uh, I can't think of all the names now, but uh, yeah, a lot of them. It's kind of interesting to see. They come up, they're always interested in uh, talk about stuff. Yeah. Uh, J Jan Arden. You know who Jan Arden is? Or is yes. she too young for you? No, I know. I've heard of her name. Uh, she came up. I was astounded, astounded at how some of the language out of those people are just, holy jeez. Uh, Howie Mandel, the guy who won't shake hands. Yes, yes, Shook yes, hands with him. He, he, didn't, <laughs> he didn't have that phobia back then. <laughs> Different people like that. I hadn't really given it a lot of thought. But uh, and a lot of the, the hockey players, that I, I'm a fan of hockey, so I've run across a lot of them. I wore... Stanley Cup rings that they had, uh, stuff like that. You know, it's thrilling for me because I was a fan of a lot of these people. Rocket Richard, is he too old for you? No, I've heard of him. Yeah, him and I are buddies. <laughs> Besties? <laughs> Just best buddies. And have you flown any private jets for anybody? No, no, no. Once I got out, uh, that was it. I, I wanted to get out. Uh, I enjoyed it, but uh, I, I wanted to do some different things. So one of the things that always bothered me about growing up is uh, I never felt good. And I don't know if you've run across that in school. You know, remember the time when they say, okay, every, it's coming up there. It's next week. There's going to be public speaking. Oh, geez, God, public speaking. I hated that. Uh, and first, first time I did it was, I, I told you about the trip to, to uh, Borden. And that was one of the things we had to do. We had to do public speaking and you had to pick out of the hat. I'm, I hope I'm not offending anybody here. But anyway, I picked out of the hat and it said foam rubber. That's what I had to talk about. I had to talk for two minutes on foam rubber. Now, I don't know, but I know where foam rubber was used sometimes. And that's what I talked about. <laughs> and I talked about it for two minutes. 
<laughs> and I hated it. But you know, you're you got to do something. You can't just sit there. Like, uh, dead air is not good. So I wanted to get out, uh, and I wanted to try different things. So I wanted to get over that. Now I, I'm comfortable public speaking, and it doesn't bother me. And I've done it uh, quite a bit. And I wanted to do some short order cooking. So at the hall, we we uh, we organized, or we used to. Uh, uh, a dinner, breakfast, and stuff like that. And we serve um, 160, 170 people, bacon and sausage and regular full meals and stuff. With all that, you have to go and scrounge that stuff as much as you can. So we did that. Anyway, it's a different experience. Yeah. And do you have a, a flight that you've, that you've done that is the most memorable to you in your mind or one that you're maybe most proud of? Well, uh, on the good side, you want them both, good side and bad side? Hit me. Well, one of them was... Uh, Going into into Newfoundland, and I, have you been to Newfoundland at all? I haven't. <laughs> they, they they sometimes get some weather there, and we were landing on uh, on runway eleven, and there's two big hills left and right, and you're basically going between, and the the runway's there. Runway eleven is the heading, and it was rough. It was rough. And before we went in, uh, we talked about it. And uh, I was the first officer then, and the captain had every right to say, because it was such a, this was going to be a hairy approach, uh, he had every right to say, look, maybe I'd better do that, because if something goes wrong, I'm going to have to answer to it anyway. So he let me do it, and I said, I briefed it, and I said, okay, watch, this is what we're watching, you watch that, I had a, a second officer, you watch that, that, and, and so we're going, and <laughs> The airplane was bouncing. Holy Jesus, it was rough. Uh, and so all we'd get the call from the second officer would say, glide slope. And then I would have seen some of that, but, you know, I'm correcting, doing all this. And when we landed, the back erupts in applause. <laughs> the Newfies love that stuff. <laughs> we stopped it on the runway and went, <laughs> <laughs> So that was the... the, the the roughest one I think mm -hmm. I can think of. The other one I mentioned going to Israel, uh, and that was the worst one. Uh, to start with, we had trouble because you have a, a you can you have to be airborne by midnight, and we were having trouble. Uh, Israelis, there's a religious thing. I don't know what it is. And, uh, oh, they weren't going to sit next. That guy was not going to sit next to that for a religious reason or whatever it is. I don't know enough about the religious uh, thing. But we had a hard time with that, and we finally went airborne, and the flight attendant comes up and it says, we're having trouble with them again. They won't let us show the movie. They're getting up and they're putting a, a, a blanket over the movie. And it, w it wasn't porn or anything. It was a movie. And whatever uh, whatever thing, they wouldn't. Anyway, we had a lot of trouble. And they were drinking heavily, not stuff that we'd survived. They, had, they all had their little bottle. And I had to go back. Finally, I had to go back. Hat on, you look very official. <laughs> first officer that was uh, he handled the airplane and I had to go back and I can be fairly loud I didn't have the mind but I told him I said look that's gonna stop anyway we did that to show you how much uh, effect I had it didn't stop <laughs> I had to get uh, uh, one of the rabbis up and I said right now now we're I think we were over uh, Iceland or Greenland or something 30 some thousand feet dark and I said, uh, I talked to him and I, I said, look, this has got to stop. I said, because right here now, if, if we go on like this, we're not going to be landing in Montreal. And I told the first officer, I said, get me the weather for Iqaluit and some other place. And he gets that. I look at this. Hawaii, 32 degrees, sunny. <laughs> so he, I could read that. He doesn't know it. So I said, look at that. I said, that's, that's a cow. And see that 30? That's minus 30 degrees. That's the wind. <laughs> and I said, you've got to tell them to settle down. Anyway, it helped a bit. But uh, when we were coming into Montreal, uh, they wouldn't sit down. So we ended up going in a holding pattern while we tried to get them to sit down. Finally, I said, the hell with it. Let's go. We're landing. And then the next day, I got a call from a supervisor saying, we're being sued. <laughs> They were suing us because they were standing while you landed. Is that why? For for everything. For, really? They they didn't they they didn't want the movies. They did this that this that they they had a whole bunch of things. So that was the worst trip I had. They didn't sue Air Canada. Said you're not coming. We're not taking you back to Israel. <laughs> <laughs> they had to go down to New York and and, and get oh, home geez. somehow. So that was the worst one. And what year did you retire from Air Canada? Uh, Two thousand. And how long you were there for thirty one years in total? Uh, whatever it was, I was uh, I was 55 is how old I was then. Uh, I think it was 30, 
31 years with uh, with Air Canada, 31, 32, and s between seven and eight years in the Air Force. And when you were done, when you retired from Air Canada, where were you living at that point? I was living off the island near Montreal. And when did you move to Peace? Uh, within a year, because we had been looking for property. We knew we wanted to retire. Our kids were... Uh, finished with university and it was just the two of us uh, and I wanted to try different things anyway so we had been looking we looked at the prairies I didn't have a lot of hope for the prairies because it's cold and it's uh, anyway BC we'd look there you can get nice properties in BC and then but your backyard just drops down into you know you might have 50 acres but a lot of it's straight down so um, I didn't like that and we looked here and then Look, New Brunswick, I knew that area well. Nova Scotia is a lot of rocks, but here was nice. I thought, And also, too, when you get older, you want to get away from the hustle and bustle of the city. Everybody, you know it's what city driving is like. I don't know how much of that you've done. But when you're in the in a big city, and I don't call Charlottetown the big city, you've got to be aggressive. If you see a spot to pull into, you got to do it. You can't say, oh, well, I want single first. You lost it. Yeah. So uh, I, when you get to be older... And I'm much older than 55 now. Uh, you uh, <laughs> you appreciate you appreciate slowing down, really do. We'll be right back with more of something to talk about with Frank Senatal on Island Waves, the voice of Prince Edward Island. This episode of Something to Talk About is supported by Mink Basin Cottage, located in beautiful Cambridge, Prince Edward Island. Enjoy a beautiful century-old four-bedroom home with all the luxuries required for a wonderful island-comfortable vacation. Enjoy the screen gazebo in the evening while you toast marshmallows in the fire pit or enjoy a wonderful barbecue. Close to Panamere Island Beach, book your staycation or vacation at Mink Basin Cottage in beautiful Prince Edward Island. You can book your stay through Verbo. You are listening to Something to Talk About on Island Waves, the voice of Prince Edward Island. And we're back with more of Something to Talk About on Island Waves. I'm Brittany Williams with today's guest, Frank Senatal. So Frank, when did you meet your wife, Karen? We were, uh, went to school together. This is back in uh, 1960, what, 1965. Was it grade school, high school? High school, yeah. Uh, one of the places my dad moved to work was in a place called Naranda, Quebec. And, uh, and I went down to school there. I was last year, high school. And were you in the same class as her? No, I, were, I was in... B or A, and she was in the other one. And you just met her through at school? Yeah, yeah. I can't say we hung around together, but she had a boyfriend. And uh, I think the first time we went out, she asked me to go to the Naval. She was queen of the Navy Naval Ball. And she asked me to go out. I thought she had a boyfriend, and I thought it was a lot better than him anyway. But uh, so I went. And that, that, uh, that didn't really work as well as I was hoping to, because I... I, I got all dressed uh, nice, bow tie. That was the killer. She, she almost walked away. Anyway, we had the party. It was good. At the end of which, we shook hands, and that was that. <laughs> that was our first and only date. The next time I went out with her, I married her. And how long between your first oh, date? Oh, I, I, uh, I don't really remember how she might remember. She's got a better memory than I have. Uh, I was writing to her when I was in training, before I uh, got my wings, and... Uh, one of the trips we had was the long-range trip. So I was in the back of the airplane. The instructor was on the front. He could see I was on instruments. So I had to do it, fly it on instruments. And uh, so I said I was going to go and see her because we were there for two or three days. And I don't know why. Uh, but anyway, I, I ended up going to the base store. They have they call it PX. And I, I uh, bought an engagement ring. And we had been writing for, you know, several months. And uh, anyway, uh, the only thing is I did, I had to fill out the insurance. Well, I filled out the insurance in her name with her address. So when I got to Montreal and we went out, we went out for supper across from where she was living. It was a nice Italian restaurant, really, really nice Italian restaurant. And anyway, I guess she had got this thing in the mail 
and and then I showed. So she called her mother, and she said something to the effect that uh, I think I'm getting engaged. Oh my gosh! So that was our second date. So I I don't know if it'll last, but uh, I think she wanted to get rid of me. You know, you don't get you don't get much on the secondhand market after <laughs> when you reach my age. But uh, we've made it this far, and we're we're best of friends, and I think that's the difference. Yeah, so. that's incredible. And how many children do you have? Oh, I have two. I have uh, a daughter who was born in seventy. Uh, and then a son who was born in 75. We did everything uh, so that it was easy to remember. 70, I know, okay, 70 is 22, that's 30 and 20. I know her age. Oh. <laughs> so that was easy. I didn't plan it like that. Anyway, <laughs> uh, they both, uh, we're lucky. with our, our kids were very good, uh, better than any other kids I know. Uh, they don't smoke. They drink a little bit. I mean, just social stuff. Uh, and they, they, have, they all have really good jobs. And their kids are, uh, well, one of them is uh, third year university in Ottawa. Another one is in college. That's my son's. Uh, my daughter's son is uh, second year psychology at uh, in university in Halifax. I figured he just picked that because, because he didn't know how to spell the word. But uh, <laughs> for some reason, I guess what it was in, in high school, there was a psychology course and that got him interested. So. And then the youngest one is 14, and she is uh, doing quite well acting. Oh, lovely. She's, she's been in some commercials. She's been in two or three things. She's actually done, she just had an honorable mention as at an international, uh, they, they do, a, uh, she did a documentary. And it was a documentary based on my brother who was adopted, found his parents. Wow. So when she, she came here and interviewed him and, and did all that stuff, and then uh, entered the documentary into this competition. And uh, in the competition in, in Nova Scotia, she won first prize for that. So she got some stuff that helps with uh, uh, doing a little bit like what we're doing here. Yeah. She's got microphones and some other hardware stuff. And, uh, and, and then she entered it in an international one and she got honorable mention in it. So she's done rather well. That's we're, incredible. We're quite proud of her. She's, uh, well, we're proud of all of them, but uh, it's nice to see. You know, we talked about that at the start. You get finished high school and you have no idea what the heck you're doing. They've got a good start at that. I'm really pleased at them. What was it like raising kids while you were being a pilot? Was it difficult at all? Well, not on me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I was away for one day, two days, three days, as much as 14 days at a time. And if you ask Karen, I was away having a hell of a good time. And while she was dealing with stuff like, well, burst pipes, uh, whatever stuff, you know, with a housewife, that, that it, it is without a doubt the hardest job going. Uh, and, and I thank her for it. The family thanks her for it because, you know, we've raised good kids because she was home. Anytime they, they came home with any problems, uh, she was there to kick their ass and say, get going here. You can do it, whatever. And I'm going to take you back a little bit to the military, your military days. Before you had met with the recruiter, had you ever thought before about being in the military at all? No, not at all. Uh, I did. Uh, I tell you, I'm an avid reader and I read a lot about the sea. Like I told you, there was no boats around there when they asked me to pick. Yeah. So, But uh, I don't know if I would have done well. I, I got sick when I was flying at the start, but I think on a boat, I still I go out locally with the fishermen sometimes and i regret it i hate it i i love doing it but yeah. it doesn't take long and uh, i i even get sick on the ferry going over to uh, to the mainland here so, really yeah, yeah I, I but i still like it. i've read an awful lot about the sea i like that type of book what is it that intrigues you about the sea i don't know yeah, yeah uh, just uh any of the books i read i think that got me interested in it you know the, the excitement Horatio Hornblower series. I read all of those and all, all every book I could. But I, I, I read a lot, so I'm also I read a lot of fantasy. So I'm interested in being an elf too. So I don't. <laughs> and you said, did you say you moved to PEI in 2015? Was no, 2000. Correct? Just 2000. Yeah, all right. We've been here 22 years now. And you came here to retire. Is that correct? Yeah, we looked at property. We were here. My my daughter, uh, she got a degree, and then she went on to uh, to join the Coast Guard. And she went to wow. the, the, the Coast Guard College there and passed, she got a degree there. So she was working, uh, when she graduated there, we decided we'd come down. So we come down and we, we figured we'd uh, take the chance to tour the Maritimes a little bit. And so we toured here. And as a matter of fact, we, we went down this road and, and I didn't realize it, but I remember going into Montague and the different stores and all the changes in the 22 years. But we drove by this property 
way back. That would have been 2000. Oh, yeah, yeah. It'd be about in in 99, I guess, when we did that. So that's how come we got the island. And were these buildings here when you bought the property? Yeah, yeah. Really? Well, not the one back there. No. The, the one back there, you haven't been back there. It, it's, a, it's a big house. And I'm starting to think that it's a little too big for us. We're, we're uh, it's a big big house for us. And it's a big property, so it's a lot of work. You know, Absolutely. Fiona was here, so we that's been a lot of work. I'm 76 years old and I'm lazy. I like to get up and read. I don't want to get up and use a chainsaw for day yeah. to day. So. And speaking of Fiona, what did you think about the storm when it hit? Like, where did you think it was going to be that bad? Uh, no, no, because they've had, we've had a couple of uh, hurricanes kick around, you know, we've got some damage. I didn't think it was going to be this bad, but uh, um, yeah, the place, once I clear those trees, it's going to look like Saskatchewan here because uh, <laughs> I still have lots to do. We work quite a, quite a bit, a lot of hours, about 300 hours clearing trees and stuff like that. But we never got anything that nobody was hurt. Uh, the closest one to this building here is a tree, big tree fell and got to within the, the tip of the front of it, got to within four or five feet. That was all. No damage, no damage, just the trees. It took us uh, it took us two and a half days to work our way out of the driveway. Two of us cutting cutting wood so we could get out. And uh, th this this house that we're in here, we rent this in the in the summer. But we had my my niece was here with her husband on a on a holiday, and he's an arborist. Oh, wow! That's so lovely. they know trees. They know how to cut anyway. And my other nephew was coming from. Victoria, because he, he he's an arb he's a, I don't know what they call a master arborist. He's got a master's degree. I didn't know they did that. Master's, and, and he, he was coming to lecture at the university on uh, on arboring, whatever they're called. <laughs> so he came here. So I had those two guys are professionals at it, and my brother and I. So we had four of us going. Yeah. And Karen and a couple of the girls were helping call, pulling branches and stuff. So it, you know, I often think that when everything goes well. Years later, you'll never look back and say, boy, that went well. Yeah. But if everything goes bad, years later, you'll say, geez, that, that, that really, we did a lot of work and that worked well. Yeah. Uh, so so I'm, I'm pleased it worked well. We still got lots to work to do. But and how long were you out of power here? I think it was 19 days. 19, 19 days. But the, what here was okay because the house at the back, I had a big generator. I'd start that every day. But this one's got a, it's like an advertising, I'm telling you here. Generac is a great thing. Okay. It had all the power it needed. It had TV. It had everything. Wow. We were back there in the cold <laughs> unless we started the generator. So it, it was great for here. Uh, and uh, again, it was another good experience. Uh, you know, we'd, we'd cook food here for everybody was in here. And there's enough room that... Uh, four bedrooms. It was great. Yeah, that sounds awesome. And before we had Fiona, we all went through the pandemic in 2020. How was, how did that affect you? I think, I think uh, Karen and I are really lucky. Uh, if there's anything bad that happens to us, it's going to happen with water. I have a friend of mine that lives not far away that has had water problems and, and she had to suffer through that. And it's not a lot of fun when you have that work. We have that too. You hear the water dripping, no matter what, if you hear it a little drip, damn it, it's the, there's a water problem. Right. right away we get at it. We haven't had any water problems and everybody was healthy. We've had our shots and all that kind of stuff. Nobody got sick, not a, not a, none of the group that were here. So I don't know whether we are, it's clean living or whether because I think of going to church every month or so. And what was it like for you to see the world under that kind of situation? Like, have you ever seen anything like no, that? No, not not that bad. It, it's no. kind of frightening because, uh, uh, well, you know what's happened in the in, in the states here now with uh, uh, with things are called they're all lying. I think anyway. So there's a lot of those people that are going to stick to it. No, it, this is this is not a big deal. I'm not getting the shots. Does the shots cause this and that? So that's worrying because it does it does leak into here and you get it where at the start, everybody was wearing the masks and everybody was careful. Yes. Uh, and now um, we still wear the masks when we go out. But uh, I think people, have, I think the government has just said, well, we're going to lose some of them, but that's okay. We're going to lose some anyway. So, and that, that gets to be worrisome because it might be... Uh, it might be me, or I've got a few a bit of health problems, or it might be Karen, or it could be the kids, or something. Scary to think it, about. It, it really, really is. Uh, there's a lot of things. Uh, and how did 
the pandemic affect your way of living, if it did at all? Well, no, I don't think I don't think it did. I mean, we we have uh, we have we don't really need to go out. We have food in the house, and we, you know, and right. she's a hell of a cook. Um, I taught her everything she knows, mind you. No, I, I could say compared to what some people had, I, you know, there are some of the older folks that had uh, uh, isolation problems and really felt bad about it and, and, and parents suffered psychologically. Uh, we haven't. We, we, we really didn't. So again, I, I don't know why uh, we're lucky. Yeah, that's good. It's good to be lucky sometimes. It is, it is. <laughs> and when you moved to PEI, how long were you living here before you started doing your volunteering? Oh, a year. Yeah. A friend of mine come over who, because the, the community hall was closed. And the community hall is very important to the old people. It's not important to the young people because they've got enough stuff to do with sometimes two jobs, sometimes taking care of grandchildren, and, and they got a lot of stuff to do. Uh, anyway, uh, they wanted to get the hall going again, and she was picked to run it. She knew she wasn't up to that, so she came over and talked to me and said, would you mind doing it? And I did. I said, okay. And there's my thinking there, the public speaking and all that stuff coming out. That's my chance to do that. So I've done that. And we've put in, uh, oh, we've put in at least well over a quarter of a million dollars in that hall. Well over that, maybe closer to half. A lot of it is stuff because of grants. And I, I, I apply for any grant that I can find. And, uh, and I think we've done a good job. Now that with COVID, we've slowed down a lot and, and I've got to somehow work up the energy to, to have some concerts and stuff. Uh, some of the concert stuff had been fun. Like we did, I don't know if you ever seen, uh, you ever seen Mrs. Brown's Boys? Yes, my dad loves that show. Uh, did you remember the one they did where she had to wear, uh, she wanted to get rid of body hair? Do you know where I'm getting that hair? I believe so, but I don't know if I've seen that one. But oh, you've got to watch imagine. that one. <laughs> Oh, we did that one at the hall. Oh, it was hilarious. I got the tape of that, and it uh, just killed ourselves laughing. Yeah. Uh, oh, you got to look that up. <laughs> you, it's a great one. I watched it again the other day, and I laugh at it every time. So that was one. And then uh, uh, there's a lady in the in the area that uh, has done some work with uh, with theater, and we've kind of on and off talked about it. Never really got anywhere because there's enough other stuff to do. But I wouldn't mind getting back to that someday. And uh, doing these little skits yeah but it takes a lot of people and, and it takes people who are willing to to volunteer anyway that's that's kind of what uh, do you act in the skits or i acted in that one yeah. like, oh it was a memorable spot that i had but uh, really that the uh it was a bit part there was four of us that did it the main one was mrs brown and she'd come out from under the closet out of the closet and went, you'd have to look it up because you'll really want to watch read, it you'll now. really see it and do you have any more plans to take on any more volunteering roles? Not a chance. No? <laughs> Your plate's Did full. I tell you we lost some trees here and I work with a chainsaw? Yes. I don't have time for volunteer. <laughs> right. I work with the, with the Seniors Club, though. We do, and I, I'm, a, I'm a member of the board of directors on the Seniors Federation at the, at the, at the province. So we, we work with that. I enjoy that type of work, too. Uh, we've met with the minister trying to get more funding and stuff like that. Uh, and our club, we started a club. That's how we got a lot of money for the community hall as, because we didn't have any money to fix anything. But I knew that if you had a, uh, a seniors club, they could apply for grants. So we started a seniors club. And now to, they had to, you had to be a seniors club for a certain number of years. So I called and I said, look, I'd like to apply for these grants, uh, but I need to have a seniors club that had been in operation for three or four years. But we haven't been. Oh, that's no problem. So they come out. <laughs> they come out and said, "Okay, you've, you've now been a seniors club for five years." <laughs> wow! And so we applied for the grants, and we got a lot of that money because of the seniors. That's uh, and right now, the seniors club is one of the only things that keeps it going. That and rentals. We rent at a really reasonable price, so uh, that's how that keeps going. And what's your favorite part about volunteering? Well, you like to help people. Uh, we've turned the hall into a, a, what's called a warming center now. Uh, and it has, a, again, I'll, I'll bring up the Generac. And uh, so we can run that place anytime there's a, like Fiona, we had it run. We had, we had three people or four people spend some nights there. Okay. Uh, some people came to get uh, water for their horses. Some people came to do a bit of cooking. Uh, so it's it's heated all the time and all that, but it's hard because you got to pay for that. You have to, you, to fill up the oil tank and, and the, the propane tanks cost a lot of money. So people come and use it, 
and then, you know, I don't want them to have to pay for it, but it is always nice to get <laughs> to, to get a few bucks out of it so to keep it going because our heating bill is a lot. And do you have any goals within the next five years, stuff you'd like to get done? Just survival. Yeah. <laughs> Clean up the yard, maybe. Yeah. I think you'll look, if you go out around here today and look around, there's a lot of a lot of work still to do. Uh, so you, you look at the whole thing and you get a little discouraged. you got to think that, like I said, there's nobody been hurt. You look at Florida when they had that hurricane go through and the whole house moved. Uh, you look at the stuff here on the island where some houses move. You look at earthquakes. You look at all those things. And all we have is trees down. Yeah. And you look at it all and say, oh, just, you know, depressing. But what we try to do is we look at this corner. We clean up that little corner there. At the end of the day, yeah, that kind of better. you know, you've done something. Yeah. Otherwise, you look at the whole thing, you're just you're just going to, it's just head. depressing. You, yeah. you can't do it. And we both go. I bought my wife a chainsaw. I told her, I said, you be careful. I don't want to be sleeping with a one-armed <laughs> <laughs> But she, she's the hardest worker I know. But, uh, and I've seen her lift logs. I, you'll see, you'll meet her tomorrow there. She's not a big girl and she can work. I'm telling you, that's why I'm keeping her. We'll be right back with more of Something to Talk About with Frank Senechal on Island Waves, the voice of Prince Edward Island. This is Island Waves, the voice of Prince Edward Island. Whether you're near or far, take us along with you. And download the free app and bring us along on Podbean and Spotify. Island Waves. Be sure to tune in to Island Waves, the voice of Prince Edward Island. And we're back with more of Something to Talk About on Island Waves. I'm Brittany Williams with today's guest, Frank Senechal. So Frank, we've talked about quite a lot of things today. What advice would you give to someone who is trying to decide whether to go to university or join the military? You know, I knew you were going to ask this question. I was thinking about it and I'm trying to think up with a real, really good answer. Uh, You know, everybody's different. Uh, I think you have to... uh, I think the worst thing you can do is get pushed into something uh, and because the family thinks that's nice or oh, oh, this is just good, that's a career I can make a living on. But uh, I think you have to know, you have to look, I always thought that you should, if you want to know about yourself, look at yourself in the mirror. You can't lie to yourself. When you look in the mirror, you look right in your eyes, you know when you make a decision, you got to know that you're doing it for you. And if you want to be a plumber, or you want to be somebody that works in television or somebody flies airplanes or teaches, that's what you got to do. I, I know I have a, a niece uh, through a cousin of mine, and the family is always so proud of her. She's a good student. She's a nice girl. But, oh, she's going to be a, she's gonna be a brain surgeon, I think it was, or maybe a heart surgeon. That's what she's going to be. She grew up knowing she was going to be that. She's a nurse. And that's not to look down at a nurse, but she realized as time goes on where they were pushing her and praising her, she knew that I'm, I, I'm not going to like that. And she's a very good nurse. She's in the, uh, the emergency section there. She's really good. And I think, she, and I, I sometimes see some of the family looking at her and thinking that it's kind of a disappointment. I thought you were going to be a, and, and it really isn't, you know, it isn't. You know, she's, she could have been a, a doctor that hated the job. And then you're, you're with a family, you hate the job, you've, now you affect the whole family with something like that. Now, I, I think you've got to look at yourself again in the mirror and say, I don't care what they want me to do, I'm going to do that. And then don't quit till you get it. Keep at it. I love that. Be stubborn. Yes, in a good way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right, Absolutely. exactly right. You've been listening to Something to Talk About with today's guest, Frank Senechal. I'm Brittany Williams for Island Waves, the voice of Prince Edward Island. Something to Talk About is a Door in the Floor production in association with Winterlude Studios for Island Waves, the voice of Prince Edward Island, executive producer and creator Virginia Winter, research contributions by Brittany Williams, Tracy Law, and Helen Balms, audio technical and director assistants Tracy Law and Brittany Williams, post-production Winterlude Studios, Prince Edward Island, 
with Master Editing, Virginia Winter, Editing Assistants, Brittany Williams, and Tracy Law. The producers would like to acknowledge and thank all of our participants of our series, Something to Talk About, who generously gave their time to be interviewed and share their lives with us. And to Holland College School of Journalism and Mass Communications, particularly to Brittany Williams, Tracy Law, and Helen Baums, and to Lindsay Carroll. Special gratitude of thanks and appreciation to our technical guru and advisor, Dr. Watson Ohms, and to Millie, our loyal canine companion and moral support. Something to talk about is a door in the floor, Winterlude Studio production made possible with support from Prince Edward Island Senior Secretariat and the Winter Foundation for Island Waves, the voice of Prince Edward Island.